Welcome to Current Radio's Technology Station. Please enjoy today's selection of technology news. Celeste, the tech sector is heating up again with the U.S. and China at the center. This time, it's about electric vehicle batteries. Right, James. It seems like the U.S. government is trying to limit the influence of Chinese battery manufacturers in the American market. Yes, and the Departments of Treasury and Energy have proposed rules that might disqualify EV buyers from claiming tax credits if their cars use battery materials from China and other countries deemed hostile to the U.S. That's a significant move, especially considering President Biden's climate law, which offers up to $7,500 in subsidies for EVs made in the U.S. with largely domestic materials. And China's not taking this lying down. Their Ministry of Commerce has responded, claiming these U.S. rules discriminate against Chinese companies and violate WTO rules. They're calling it a typical non-market-oriented policy and practice. The implications of these rules are far-reaching. They're not just about trade, they're also about reducing U.S. dependence on China's supply chains. But it could hinder Biden's plan to boost EV sales and cut greenhouse gas emissions. Absolutely. And let's not forget that China's dominance in the EV battery sector is significant. CADL and BYD alone account for about 53% of the world's EV battery usage. This is a major... And China is also the world's largest EV market, isn't it? Yes, it is. As of Q3 this year, China held a 58% share, followed by the U.S. and Germany. But with these new rules, South Korean giants like LG, Samsung, and SKON could stand to gain. But even they're feeling the heat, right? I heard SK Group's President Che Taewon blamed the U.S. for keeping battery costs high. Yes, and it's not just about the cost. China owns much of the global supply chain for EV batteries, from mining rare minerals to cell production. This puts Korean firms and others in a tough spot. So what's the move for Chinese battery firms? They can't just sit back and lose the U.S. market. Well, some like Goshen, BYD, and CATL are planning to set up factories in America. This way, their buyers could still qualify for the EV tax credit. But it's not a smooth road. Ford, for instance, has paused its plans to build a $3.5 billion EV battery factory with KDL in Michigan due to political scrutiny. It seems like this battle is far from over, and the stakes are high for both countries. We'll have to wait and see how this plays out. While we continue to monitor the ongoing trade tensions between the U.S. and China in the EV sector, let's shift gears and turn our attention towards another major player in the tech world. This time, we're looking at the intersection of social media and e-commerce, where popular video sharing app TikTok is making some strategic moves. So Celeste, it seems TikTok is making a strategic move into the e-commerce sector. ByteDance's TikTok is set to take a controlling stake in a joint venture with GoTo's e-commerce unit, Tokopedia. TikTok will hold a 75.1% stake, while GoTo retains 24.99%. That's a hefty investment from TikTok. They're putting in $1.5 billion over time to fund the business, with no additional dilution to GoTo's stake. It's quite the... Commitment, right? and the transaction is set to unfold in stages. First, Tokopedia will acquire TikTok Shop's Indonesia business for $340 million in the fourth quarter of this year. Then, TikTok will acquire the majority stake in the entity. The entire deal is expected to close by the first quarter of 2024. So this partnership will allow TikTok to run its online shopping features again in Indonesia. I remember TikTok had to suspend its e-commerce service in October 
to comply with a new rule in Indonesia that banned direct payments for online purchases on social media platforms. They were trying to protect smaller, local merchants and users' data. Right, and it's interesting because Indonesia is a key market for TikTok. As of October, they had around 106 million users in the country, second only to the U.S., and in terms of active social media users, Indonesia is the third biggest market in Asia, only behind China and India. It's a strategic move, for sure. The companies have said that they aim to transform Indonesia's e-commerce sector, creating millions of new job opportunities over the next five years. Most of the combined businesses' merchants are MSMEs, so they're planning joint initiatives to support them. It's a bold move, Celeste. And it's interesting to see TikTok diversifying into e-commerce. It's not just about short videos anymore. It's about leveraging their massive user base to tap into new markets. It's a fascinating evolution and- I agree, James. It will be interesting to see how this venture pans out and what it means for the future of social media platforms. It's all about expanding horizons and exploring new opportunities. From one tech giant making strategic moves in Asia to another, Let's shift our focus to Amazon. There's been an unexpected development at the helm of Amazon Web Services, or AWS, in India and South Asia. Let's delve into the details. So, Celeste, some interesting developments over at Amazon. Vashali Kastur, the interim head of AWS India and South Asia, has reportedly left the company. Really? That's quite a surprise, James. I mean, she was only appointed seven months ago, right? Exactly. And this comes at a time when AWS is making significant strides in India. They've been courting hundreds of thousands of companies there, not to mention government undertakings. And wasn't there a major investment announcement earlier this year? Something in the billions, if I remember correctly. Yes, you're right. Amazon announced plans to invest $12.7 billion into its cloud business in India by 2030. That's a huge commitment especially considering that the overall public cloud services market in India is expected to reach just $13 billion by 2026. So what's the reason behind Castor's departure? It seems like a challenging time to leave, given the ambitious plans for AWS in India. That's the mystery, Celeste. We don't have a clear reason for her departure. But it's worth noting that Castor stepped into the interim leader role after her predecessor, Puneet Chandak, left to join Microsoft India. And until recently, she seemed quite optimistic about AWS's prospects in India. Right, I recall her LinkedIn post. She mentioned a total planned investment of over $16.4 billion by 2030, contributing an estimated $23 billion to India's GDP. Plus, AWS's significant focus on... Skilling and training, yes. AWS has trained over 4 million people in India through various programs. It's a massive undertaking. Absolutely. So with Kastur's departure, what's the plan for AWS India? Any word on a successor? No word yet, Celeste. But given the importance of the Indian market, I'm sure Amazon will be keen to fill that role quickly. Well, it's certainly a situation worth keeping an eye on. With such a significant investment and growth plan, AWS India's leadership will play a crucial role in the coming years. From unexpected departures in tech leadership to significant advancements in technology regulations, it seems there's never a dull moment in the tech world. As we leave the topic of AWS India, let's now turn our attention to Europe, where there have been some groundbreaking developments in the realm of artificial intelligence. The European Union, after much deliberation, has finally reached a consensus on a risk-based framework for AI regulation. 
Let's delve into the details. Well, Celeste, it seems like the European Union is making significant strides in regulating artificial intelligence. After lengthy talks, they've finally agreed on a risk-based framework for AI regulation. That's quite something, isn't it? A pan-EU AI law is officially on the way. It's been a long time coming, considering the proposal was initially made back in April 2021. Indeed, and it's being hailed as a global first. Now, we don't have all the details yet, but we do know the agreement includes a total ban on the use of AI for certain applications, like... Wait, a total ban? No exceptions? That's what it seems like. For instance, AI can't be used for biometric categorization systems that use sensitive characteristics, such as political or religious beliefs, sexual orientation, or race. Also, it can't be used for untargeted scraping of facial images from the internet or CCTV footage to create facial recognition databases. And there's more. That's a pretty comprehensive list. It's clear they're taking a strong stance on privacy and individual rights. Yes, but it's not a complete ban on all AI uses. For example, law enforcement can still use remote biometric identification technology in public places, but with strict safeguards and narrow exceptions. This includes a requirement for prior judicial authorization and uses limited to a strictly defined list of crimes. So there's a balance being struck here. What about the reaction from civil society groups? Well, not everyone is happy. Groups like EDRI have expressed skepticism, arguing that the limitations on state agencies' use of biometric identification technologies may not be enough to safeguard human rights. They believe that the deal looks like a shell of the AI law Europe really needs. It's a tough balance to strike, isn't it? Regulating innovation while protecting rights. But what about AI systems that are classified as high risk? Good point. The package includes obligations for these systems, which are defined as having significant potential harm to health, safety, fundamental rights, environment, democracy, and the rule of law. These systems will be subject to a mandatory fundamental rights impact assessment, among other requirements, and citizens will have a right to launch complaints about these AI systems and receive explanations about decisions that impact their rights. So there's accountability built in. What about the general AI systems? I heard there's a two-tier system of guardrails for those. Yes, that's correct. The low-tier AIs, like foundational models used in applications like ChatGPT, will have some transparency requirements. The makers must draw up technical documentation and produce detailed summaries about the content used for training to comply with EU copyright law. For high-impact GPAIs with systemic risk, there are more stringent obligations. Wow, it sounds like they've really thought this through. But what happens if companies don't comply? Well, the penalties for non-compliance can be severe. They range from fines of 35 million or 7% of global turnover to 7.5 million or 1.5% of turnover, depending on the infringement and size of the company. That's quite a deterrent. And when is all of this supposed to come into effect? There will be a phased entry into force after the law is adopted. Rules on prohibited use cases will kick in six months after adoption, transparency and governance requirements after 12 months, and all other requirements after 24 months. So we might not feel the full force of the EU's AI Act until 2026. Well, it's certainly a landmark moment for AI regulation. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the coming years.